Welcome back to the Heming Brainiacathon podcast, the best one you've ever heard of ever. Talking about the book we're talking about. What are we talking about? Of Human Bondage, Chapter 38. Before we do that, hey, let's get serious for a moment, people. Let's get serious. Let's get, let's just have a moment to seriously speak about patreon.com slash the Hemingway list, where you can support this podcast for as little as $1 per month. For as many or as few months as you want. Do that if you want. Don't do it if you don't want. The discussion prompts were these uh, for chapter 38. Brutal last line. I'm going to give you a reminder of the last line. I'm afraid it sounds very rude, but I hope from the bottom of my heart that I shall never set eyes on any of you again. It was a bit of one of those fantasy quitting the job moments, right? Um... Is it Office Space when he does... Oh, what's the film when he quits? And he's like, F you, F you, you're okay, F you. F-. he like points everyone out. Uh, there's also a really good quitting the job scene in Summer Heights High with Mr. G. When he's like... Uh, I think he tells someone to shove their flowers up their ass or something like that. Anyway, discussion prompt two was this onwards to Paris. Acoustic Eel says, looks like we're off to Paris again. I'm looking forward to it, though. Yeah, Paris is a good setting. And already his description of Paris. Was it Paris or London? Yeah, no, his descriptions of Paris already have put me more in the setting of Paris than other books like um, The American. When we read The American, I never for one second felt like I was in Paris. Like, the author, all the author did was be like, then, at the Louvre, and it's like, oh, okay, we're at the famous Paris setting of the Louvre Museum. Uh, You know, like, he just mentioned really famous icons. It's like, we're in Rome. Then the characters went to the Colosseum. The next day, they went back to the Colosseum. On a third day, at the Trevi Fountain... They went back to the Colosseum shortly after that. And it's, it's just like, you're just saying the landmarks of the city. like. But already I've got a better feel for Paris just from this previous chapter. So um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that old author who shall not be named will give us a good Paris session. Philip needs to work on his bridge burning, says Acoustic Eels. If you're going to say, I hope I never see any of you again... Don't apologize for being rude. you got to own that shit. You're burning it either way. Use some fireworks. <laughs> well, he is a gentleman after all, you know. He can't, he can't completely relinquish his gentlemanliness. And it's very British to um, be polite, even in your most brutal insult. You know, you never forget your manners. Uh, <laughs> but I'm with you on that. Like, if you're going to burn a bridge, you better, might as well do a good job of it. Lady Rostova says, that's a good name, good, uh, good, uh, um, Tolstoy reference there. Hello, I just joined Reddit to be part of this community. Oh, wow. Hey, that's cool that you've joined Reddit for us, you know, um, and we welcome you on board. We welcome you here. Um, I found the podcast last December, started War and Peace, finished it in August, Then I also read The Open Boat and The Blue Hotel and Wuthering Heights with the podcast. I have started off Human Bondage yesterday and I'm already at Chapter 10. 
hoping to reach you all in the next few days. I wanted to thank you all for this amazing experience, especially Ander. Hey, that's me. Thank you very much. Sorry, my phone's going blurring in the background. Just ignore that. Actually, I'll put it on silent. I had to take it off silent, which is something I don't often do because I was expecting a guy to come out and fix my internet today. And I didn't want to miss his phone call when he said he was on his way. Uh, anyway, it's on silent again now, rest assured. Um, okay, what was I saying? Hoping to reach you all in the next few days. I wanted to thank you all for this amazing experience, especially Ander. I've already said that bit, but I'll say it again because it's nice. Uh, I'm going to listen to the rest of the books you already did. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Great to have you here. Welcome. I'm looking forward to the bit where you catch up and you can be part of the podcast every day by commenting on the current chapter. Uh, so it sounds already, I don't know much about you, but it sounds like you're going to be one of those who uh, inputs frequently and, and puts in their two cents on a, hopefully on a daily basis, like some of the other great Redditors here, whose names I'm sure you know by now. Um, I would say this, do go and listen to some of the other ones, but not all of them. Because I would skip, I would at least skip the Brothers Karam Karamazov because that was a bad reading. That's my bad. I'm not saying it's a bad book. I had a bad translation of the book and I did not enjoy reading that bad translation of the book. I also don't go in much for like heavy religion talk and this was a heavy religion talk book. And so this was a perfect storm for me of just not being into that book uh, and subsequently did a terrible reading of it and I don't want to you know it's a classic book it's up there in the top 10 you know of most lists I don't want to taint that with my shitty reading of it so I wouldn't recommend it unless you've already read the book and you want to go through it again and hear me rant and rave but there was chunks of that book where I, I read it so lazily like I literally just speed read it and mumbled my way through it and sometimes I would mumble and during the mumble skip a paragraph or two like literally just jump down four or five or ten lines of the book and just continue reading as if I hadn't. I just mumble, 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 keep going. And I, I'd literally skip half pages of the book at some point because I was just like, you know, the last ten pages he's just been going on about the same, you know, existential philosophy. I know the next half a page is going to be just more of the same. If I skip it, we don't lose anything because he said the same thing ten times in a row. And that was my, that was my mindset on it. So, really bad reading. Like literally, didn't even read the whole thing. I skipped paragraphs. <laughs> so, I can recommend my podcast absolutely. We've done some great, covered some great books, done some good readings that I'm proud of. Uh, had some awesome conversations, drilled down into books. But at the same time, that one in particular, would not recommend. Uh, Dubliners was cool. Anna Karenina, pretty cool. Enormous Room um, was good. We didn't really love that book, but we did have a good conversation about it, you know, and we gave it a fair go. Same could be said with The American. Same could probably be said with The Red and the Black. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, what am I saying? Welcome. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, I'm going on and on about nothing. Laura Weistich says, Too many books about France. Seriously, What's with these books and the year of Les Mis? Anyway, it seems that Philip is back trying to find meaning in his life once again. Well, France was the, the culture and romance and arts capital of the world, wasn't it really? Like, War and Peace is a great thing 
like the thing I learned reading War and Peace, which I didn't know, was that like the high society, the aristocracy of Russia was so French. Like they didn't even speak Russian. They spoke French. And the posher you were, the more French you were. And that whole culture was borrowed in a lot of ways from from the French. And even the same could be said with like the English aristocracy and that, and that kind of classism in general that, um, you know, having dukes, having um, kings and, and, and all, all that kind of stuff. It, it all goes back. It seems to sort of, uh, I don't know, center around the French and their you know, War of Independence and their, the whole you know, Napoleon thing was so influential on, on their country and then the way other countries follow. I don't know, it's just, I, I learned a lot about that, but France was so influential at that time uh, through the 1800s and early 1900s um, that, yeah, I, I get, yeah, that's why we're in France so much. And also, don't forget, Hemingway himself lived in Paris in the 20s wrote most of his works from Paris in that hub of great American artists. Um, you had Picasso. I don't know if he was an American, but he was there. You had Hemingway. You had Fitzgerald. You had... Uh, I don't know. The list goes on and on. If you watch Midnight in Paris, actually, it's a really good one where it shows this how it was just this hub of American and expat artists living in France, in Paris in the 20s and um you know that's what Hemingway did when he wrote a lot of his great works he was in Paris so there's a reason he p- picked so many books about Paris as well maybe it's because you know it's his second home it's where he did a lot of his great work and a lot where his network of artists kind of was it was their their hub for a long time uh anyway <clears throat> midnight at Paris if you haven't watched that on the topic of Hemingway, that's my one of my favourite representations of Hemingway out there. You know, it's a you know somewhat fictional version of him, but it's um, still you know it's meant to be Hemingway, and that portrayal of him, oh, beautiful. That's a great film if you haven't seen it. Um, all right, I've gone way off the bloody track today. I don't know what I'm talking about. All kinds of nonsense. I think we said a few things about the actual chapter in question. But uh, anyway, let's move on to the next chapter. Onwards. Chapter 39. Jeez, these Roman numerals get harder and harder as they get longer. Uh, Okay, the vicar of Blackstable would have nothing to do with the scheme which Philip laid before him. He had a great idea that one should stick to whatever one had begun. Like all weak men, he laid an exaggerated stress on not changing one's mind. You choose to be an accountant of your own free will. He said, I just look, sorry, I just took, oh, I've got the hiccups now. Let's try that again. I just took that because it was the only chance I saw of getting up to town. I hate London. I hate the work and nothing will induce me to go back to it. Mr. and Mrs. Carey were frankly shocked at Philip's idea of being an artist. He should not forget, they said, that his father and mother were gentle folk and painting wasn't a serious profession. It was bohemian disreputable, immoral, and then Paris. So long as I have anything to say in the matter, I shall not allow you to live in Paris, said the vicar firmly. It was a sink of iniquity. 
The Scarlet Woman and she of Babylon flaunted their vileness there. The cities of the plain were not more wicked. You've been brought up like a gentleman and Christian, and I should be false to the trust laid upon me by your dead father and mother if I allowed you to expose yourself to such temptation. Well, I know I'm not a Christian, and I'm beginning to doubt whether I'm a gentleman, said Philip. The dispute grew more violent. There was another year before Philip took possession of his small inheritance, and during that time Mr. Carey proposed only to give him an allowance if he remained at the office. It was clear to Philip that if he meant not to continue with accountancy, he must leave it while he could still get back half the money that had been paid for his articles. The vicar would not listen. Philip, losing all reserve, said things to wound and irritate. You've got no right to waste my money, he said at last. After all, it's my money, isn't it? I'm not a child. You can't prevent me from going to Paris if I make up my mind I want to. You can't force me to go back to London. All I can do is refuse to refuse you money unless you do what I think fit. Well, I don't care. I've made up my mind to go to Paris. I shall sell my clothes and my books and my father's jewellery. Aunt Louisa sat by in silence, anxious and unhappy. She saw that Philip was beside himself and anything she said then would but increase his anger. Finally, the vicar announced that he wished to hear nothing more about it and with dignity left the room. For the next three days, neither Philip nor he spoke to one another. One another. Philip wrote to Hayward for information about Paris and made up his mind to set out as soon as he got a reply. Mrs. Carey turned to the matter over in her mind incessantly. She felt that Philip included her in the hatred he bore her husband, and he thought, and the thought tortured her. She loved him with all her heart. At length, she spoke to him, she listened attentively, while he poured out all his disillusionment of London and his eager ambition for the future. I may be no good, but at least let me have a try. I can't be worse as a failure than I was in that beastly office, and I feel that I can paint. I know I've got it in me. She was not so sure as her husband that they did write in thwarting so strong an inclination. She had read of great painters whose parents had opposed their wish to study, the event had shown with what folly, and after all it was just as possible for a painter to lead virtuous life to the glory of God as for a chartered accountant. I'm so afraid of your going to Paris, she said piteously. It wouldn't be so bad if you studied in London. If I'm going in for painting, I must do it thoroughly, and it's only in Paris that you can get the real thing. At his suggestion, Mrs. Carey wrote to the solicitor saying that Philip was discontented with his work in London and asking what he thought of a change. Mr. Nixon answered as follows. Dear Mrs. Carey, I have seen Mr. Herbert Carter, and I am afraid I must tell you that Philip has not done so well as one could have wished. If he is very strongly set against the work, perhaps it is better that he should take the opportunity there is now to break his articles. I am naturally very disappointed, but as you know... You can, can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yours very sincerely, Albert Nixon. The letter was shown to the vicar, but served only to increase his obstinacy. He was willing enough that Philip should take up some other profession. He suggested his father, his father's calling, medicine, but nothing would induce him to pay an allowance if Philip went to Paris. It's a mere excuse for self-indulgence and sensuality, he said. 
I'm interested to hear your blame, self-indulgence in others, retorted Philip acidly. But by this time, an answer had come from Hayward, giving the name of a hotel where Philip could get a room for 30 francs a month and enclosing a note of introduction to the misery of a school. Philip read the letter to Mrs. Carey and told her he proposed to start on the 1st of September. But you haven't got any money, she said. I'm going into Turkenbury this afternoon to sell the jewellery. He had inherited from his father a gold watch and chain, two or three rings, some links and two pins. One of them was a pearl and might fetch a considerable sum. It's a very different thing, what a thing's worth and what it'll fetch, said Aunt Louisa. Philip smiled, for this was one of his uncle's stock phrases. I know, but at the worst I can think I can get a hundred pounds on the lot, and that'll keep me till I'm twenty-one. Mrs. Carey did not answer, but she went upstairs, put on her little black bonnet, and went to the bank. In an hour she came home. She went to Philip, who was reading in the drawing room, and handed him an envelope. What's this? he asked. It's a little present for you, she answered, smiling shyly. He opened it and found eleven five-pound notes and a little paper sack bulging with sovereigns. I couldn't bear to let you sell your father's jewellery. It's the money I had in the bank. It comes to very nearly a hundred pounds. Philip blushed, and he knew not why tears suddenly filled his eyes. Oh, my dear, I can't take it, he said. It's most awfully good of you, but I couldn't bear to take it. When Mrs. Carey was married, she had three hundred pounds, and this money, carefully watched, had been used by her to meet any unforeseen expense, any urgent charity, or to buy Christmas and birthday presents for her husband and for Phil. In the course of years it had diminished sadly, but it was still with the vicar a subject for jesting. He talked of his wife as a rich woman, and constantly spoke of the nest egg. Oh, please take it, Philip. I'm so sorry I've been extravagant, and there's only that left, but it'll make me so happy if you'll accept it. But you'll want it, said Philip. No, I don't think I shall. I was keeping it in case your uncle died before me. I thought it would be useful to have a little something I could get immediately if I wanted, but I don't think I shall live very much longer now. Oh, my dear, don't say that. Why, of course, you're going to live forever. I can't possibly spare you. Oh, I'm not sorry. Her voice broke, and she hid her eyes, but in a moment, drying them, she smiled bravely. At first I used to pray to God that he might not take me first, but I didn't want your uncle to be left alone. I didn't want him to have all the suffering, but now I know that it wouldn't mean so much to your uncle as it would mean to me. He wants to live more than I do. I've never been the wife he wanted, and I dare say he'd marry again if anything happened to me, so I should like to go first. You don't think it's selfish of me, Philip, do you? But I couldn't bear it if he went. Philip kissed her wrinkled, thin cheek. He did not know why the sight he had of that overwhelming love made him feel strangely ashamed. It was incomprehensible that she should care so much for a man who was so indifferent, so selfish, so grossly self-indulgent, and he divined dimly that in her heart she knew his indifference and his selfishness, knew them and loved them, him humbly all the same. "'You will take the money, Philip,' she said, gently stroking his hand. "'I know you can do without it, but it'll give me so much happiness. "'I've always wanted to do something for you. "'You see, I never had a child of my own, and I've loved you as if you were my son. "'When you were a little boy, though, I knew it was wicked. "'I used, 
I used to wish almost that you might be ill so that I could nurse you day and night, but you were only ill once, and then it was at school. I should so like to help you. It's the only chance I shall ever have, and perhaps some day when you're a great artist, you won't forget me. But you'll remember that I gave you your start. It's very good of you, said Philip. I'm very grateful. A smile came into his tired, into her tired eyes, a smile of pure happiness. Oh, I'm so glad. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Very, very good. Uh, I liked this chapter very much. I really liked this chapter. Um, have your say over at the Hemingway list. I think I'm going to leave a few discussion prompts on this one, and I'll uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what you've got to say. Patreon.com slash the Hemingway list, by the way, if you want to support the podcast. Other than that, thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.